0: If you have your Bibles this morning, would you open up to Psalm 51, Psalm 51, Psalm number 51, while you're fighting that, I wasn't going to mention it, but I will because I'm just so impressed. I did not not think think a man man could get any more handsome than 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 Ryan Farney until he showed up today today with his bearded bearded bald bald head. head. The pinnacle pinnacle of of a handsome handsome man man right there. Psalm 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 51. Psalm 51. It begins with verse 1, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned, and done evil, this evil, in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak, and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open Open my lips, lips, and my mouth shall show forth forth your praise. For you do not not desire sacrifice, sacrifice or else else I would would give it. You do not not delight in burnt offerings. offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken broken spirit, spirit. a broken and and contrite heart. heart. These, These, O God, you will not despise. Do good in your good pleasure design. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offerings, and whole burnt offerings. Then... They shall, they shall offer, offer the, bulls the bulls on your, on your altar. altar. Here, in Here in Psalm 51, 51 we, we have the Holy Spirit-inspired Spirit inspired writings, writings of, David of David following his sin with Bathsheba, with Bathsheba against, against, Uriah, against Uriah, against the people of Israel, Israel against, God. against God. We have, we have the, words the words of a, of a man, man who's broken broken over sin, sin, and who's who's called called out out to God God for forgiveness. forgiveness. We have have here a psalm of repentance. repentance. The great great preacher preacher Adrian Rogers Rogers, decades decades ago said, the word word repentance has has been neglected in many many of today's today's churches. churches. But while it may have dropped dropped out of some pulpits, pulpits, it it has has not dropped out of the the word of God. God. In fact, fact, the Bible has a lot to say about repentance. And here we come across one of the texts in God's Word where God has a lot to say about repentance. And as we look in this psalm and we learn about repentance, we learn the description of repentance, the evidence of repentance, the practice of repentance, what we come to see is that repentance is productive. It's not just an act we do, it is something that happens to be productive in our lives. I want us to look at this psalm and pull out the elements of repentance. The first thing we see is repentance is priority. That's the reality of how this text describes the act of repentance, of repenting. Repentance is priority. That is, it is needed. It is essential to our lives. David here expressed his need for forgiveness through repentance after he was confronted with his sin with Bathsheba. He recognized that repentance was a priority for him. He needed to repent to God because of the sin he had committed. He had wandered off into sin. Most of you know the story. The short version is this. David is the king. He's been anointed king at a young age. He's had God's favor upon him. He's a great warrior. He's expanded the borders of Israel. He has it all going for him. But one night he gives in to his sinful lusts. He takes a married woman. He has a, a, a adultery. He commits adultery with her. To, he lies to hide his sin. He tries his best to cover up his sin. When, he, when it's not working, he has her husband Uriah killed. He sins. He Lies. He commits adultery. He commits murder. He just gets deeper and deeper into sin. The prophet Nathan confronts him about his sinfulness. And he realizes there's only one thing for him to do. Repent. It was a priority. It was a need. In recognition of his sin, David expressed repentance towards God. And in this psalm, we see the elements of repentance that David practiced. It gives us a very clear explanation of what's involved in an act of repentance. In fact, the words of this psalm reveal the elements of repentance, the specific things that are involved in repentance. If you're not sure, what does it mean to repent of sin? Just look at David in Psalm 51, what he has to say. And you'll see the specific elements. Let me point them out to you. Firstly, to practice repentance means acknowledging our sin. Acknowledging our sin. You see that in verse 3. For I acknowledge my transgressions. You see, when David came before the Lord with a heart of repentance, he said, God, God, I have transgressed your law. I have acted contrary to your standards. I have rebelled against your word. I am guilty. I have done this. It is my sin. David did not pull the stunt that Adam and Eve pulled in Genesis 3. Where Adam says, hey God, it was the woman. And the woman says, whoa God, it was the serpent. David said, God, I did it, my sin. You see, repentance, it's true repentance, requires us to acknowledge this is my sin. I have done this. The second thing we see him do is not only acknowledge sin, we see that he teaches us that repentance involves admitting that our sin is against God. David sinned against God. Now, yes, his sin was against Bathsheba and Uriah and the army he led and the nation he led. That is true. But ultimately, his sin was against God. That's what made it so drastic. Verse 4 says, against you, you only, I have sinned. Repentance comes with a heart that understands God, I've sinned against you. I've transgressed you. I have violated your word. I have rebelled against your standards. It's not only acknowledging, yes, I have sinned, it's admitting, it's, it's acknowledging, it's, it's owning up to God, I sinned against you. David goes on in his repentance though and shows us that repentance involves agreeing with God about our guilt. It is my sin, God. It is sin against you. And yes, I'm guilty. I stand condemned. Verse 4, David says, look, God, you're just and you're blameless in judging. See, God is just. He's blameless in judging us because we are guilty. God is perfectly holy. And in his perfect holiness, he must condemn sin. He sets in the place of judgment against sin, and rightfully so, because we are guilty of sin. You see, if I express true repentance towards God, it's not only acknowledging my sin, admitting it's against God, but it's confessing, it's agreeing, God, it's true, I am guilty. I am guilty. But look at the next next aspect of what David does in repenting we find that repentance involves asking for God's forgiveness. You see, he acknowledges it's my sin. He he admits I sinned against you. He agrees, yes, I am guilty. And then he says, but God, would you forgive me? He asks for forgiveness. Notice the, the phraseology used throughout the psalm. Blot out, wash me, cleanse me, purge me. Time and again, he uses these words referring to the forgiveness that God brings. He's coming with a heart of true repentance, owning his sin, acknowledging his sin against God, agreeing he's guilty, and in doing so, God, would you forgive me? And we see one last element of repentance here, and that's turning in sincerity to God. You see, David doesn't just admit, okay, I sinned. He doesn't just acknowledge, God, I sinned, it's against you, I'm guilty. Forgive me, God, because I don't want any bad stuff to happen to me. He turns to God. Once again, it's revealed. Verses 10, 11, and 12 refer to a closeness with God, a seeking out of God, abiding with God. In verse 14, he calls out to God and says, God, you are the God of my salvation An intimate interaction with God. It's not just to forgive me. I don't want the bad stuff to happen. It's God, I want closeness with you. I want to seek you. I want to abide in your presence. I want to function and live with you. You see, what we see here from David in his act of repentance it's an acknowledgment of sin, admitting it's against God, agreeing that we're guilty, asking for forgiveness, all the while turning from that sin and pressing towards God in faith. That's repentance as revealed here. Psalm 51 shows us that repentance is acknowledging our sin against God, confessing our guilt to God, seeking God's forgiveness while we turn from sin to God. That's Repentance. That's what we see illustrated in this psalm. And the psalm even goes further to give us the evidence of true repentance. Evidence defined by and revealed in a broken and contrite heart. See that in verse 17. What is the motivation for true repentance? What is the evidence of having true repentance? A broken and contrite heart over sin against God. A lot of people will use the word repentance, but a lot of people are throwing it down like a get-out-of-jail-free card as if they're playing Monopoly. God, I repent. Forgive me. But true repentance is motivated from a broken and contrite heart where we're broken because of the sin we've committed against God. In fact, that word broken comes from a Hebrew transliteration, shobar, to be torn or shattered. It refers to a state of brokenness that comes when we understand our own sinfulness. When I come to understand my sin compared to God's holiness, it breaks me. That's what that word means. To recognize the supreme holiness of God, to recognize the vileness of my sin, and to be broken because of it. Not to be flippid or, uh, or, or silly or just run-of-the-mill or whatever, but to realize I've sinned against God and my heart is torn and shattered. The word contrite translates to mean to be crushed, to be pressed down under the heavy weight. It's a reference to having an attitude of penitence Or humility because the pressure one feels under the weight of his own sinfulness. Contrite means I recognize my sinfulness and it presses down upon me so hard it pushes me to a place of penitence before God where I call out to God in repentance. This isn't the, oh God, I sin, forgive me. This is from the level of the heart being broken over sin and calling out to God with a repentant spirit, God, forgive me. That's repentance. That's what we see in the life of David. So what we come to understand, my friends, is this. Once confronted with our sin, our only appropriate response is repentance. Repentance must be our priority. When I sin, I have one option. There's one need in my life. There's one priority I must look at to fall before God in repentance from a broken and contrite spirit seeking his forgiveness. You see, it's the Spirit of God who works to bring conviction upon us so that we can understand our sinfulness. And so we need to practice repentance when that happens. In fact, this psalm reveals specific reasons why we should practice repentance. It not only gives us the elements of repentance, it says, here's why you should practice this. For example, in verse 4, we see that repentance is needed because our sin is against God. Sure, David sinned against God. I mean, he committed adultery. He lied about it. He tried to hide it. From his constituents. He did everything a politician does. And then he murdered a guy. Had he murdered. Sure, he needed to repent. I mean, he was guilty. Of course, the scriptures tell us that even when we break the least little sin, we're guilty of breaking the whole law. And we've sinned against God. You know why sin is serious? Because it is rebellion against the one true living God. You didn't just defend this person. You didn't just hurt that person. It's not just that you sinned against him or her or whatever. You sinned against the one true supremely holy living God. That's why sin is serious. Sin is serious because it contradicts the character and the nature of God. Sin is the creation acting in opposition to the creator. It is serious. You realize that it is God who has set the standards for proper actions, attitudes, and words. So when I act contrary to his standards, it's like I'm thumbing my nose up at God and saying, forget you, God, I don't care. This is the God who poured fire and brimstone upon cities. This is the God who split the earth up and let it swallow people. This is the God who demands our recognition of his supremely holy state. And yet we thumb our nose up at him like it's no big deal. When we sin, we sin against God. Now, yes, once again, it's true. David sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against her husband. He sinned against the nation of Israel. He sinned against so many others. But because God had set the standards for proper behavior towards others, any sin against those others was a sin against God because God set the boundaries, and that's just how we need to look at sin. Whatever I do that is contrary to God's standards, it's sin against God. I need to stop saying, well, I only offended her. Where i only upset him. No, you sinned against God. That's why repentance is so much a priority. We also see in verse 4, repentance is needed because God righteously judges sin. Do you realize there is a day of reckoning that will come? Because God is the righteous judge who will judge sin. No one escapes this. In Romans chapter 2, beginning with verse 5, listen to the word of God. But according with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourselves wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance and doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey it indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. Now there in that text from Hebrews 2, there are some very important things mentioned. For example, the righteous judgment of God's wrath is promised It's guaranteed to be rendered to each one according to his or her deeds. There is a day of reckoning coming. God does judge the sinner. We find out in that text, those who will refuse to exercise a repentant faith in Jesus Christ are guaranteed indignation, wrath, tribulation, and anguish. There's not many things I can tell you certainly will happen in the future. But here's something I can tell you for sure. If you will not practice repentance through faith in Jesus Christ, here's what your future holds. Indignation, wrath, tribulation, and anguish. God promises it, so I know it'll happen. There is a day of reckoning that will come. And this text also very plainly states that God shows no favoritism when it comes to judging sin. What that means is I may have expressed a repentant faith in Jesus for my salvation. He has imparted eternal life to me. I'm a child of God, but I don't have liberty to go out and sin. Because even as a child of God, he will judge my sin. He will look at my deeds and act accordingly. In the Bible, in the Old and in the New Testament, it very clearly shows That even God's own children will be judged, have been judged, because of unrepentant sin. There are examples of the chastening hand of the Lord upon his own people throughout the Old Testament and even into the early dealings of the New Testament church. It's there. Look, you'll see it. Those who will not practice repentance are judged. Can I tell you repentance is needed because God is a righteous judge and there is a day of reckoning that will come. He's the righteous judge, by the way, because he holds the only supreme position of holiness and we are guilty. So David says, look, you're just, you're righteous, you're good in your judgment because we're the ones who are guilty. You're just doing what needs to be done. Verse 5 says repentance is needed because we are born into sin. David openly admits this. He doesn't make any excuse. He doesn't try to provide justification for his sin. He says, look, I was born into sin. I have sinned because I'm a sinner. The Bible clearly teaches us that Every one of us have been born into sin with a sin nature. Romans chapter 5 clearly expresses this reality. And so what we see is this. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. We're born into it. And if I'm born into sin with a sin nature, if that's my natural state, that means I'm guilty of sin just naturally. I'm naturally born into sin with a sin nature. That means I'm guilty of sin. I stand guilty and condemned before God from day one because I'm born into it. Whether I'm awake or asleep, whether I'm practicing good deeds or doing evil, as long as I abide under the sin nature, I'm guilty before God. The sin nature makes us sinners, it makes us guilty before God. That's why really, really good people, really moral people, really nice people still face eternal punishment. Because the very nature within them makes them guilty before God. It's not about the good they're doing. It's about the nature within them. We stand guilty and condemned because the nature within us. That's why Christ came and died on the cross. That's why he took our sins and bore them for us. That's why he died in our place and rose again. That when we bow before him with a repentant heart, calling out to him in faith, he imparts a new nature within us so that we're no longer guilty before God. We no longer stand condemned before God. Verse 11 says repentance is needed to prevent separation from God. Without repentance... People remain separated from God because that's what sin causes, separation from God. The wages of sin is death, that spiritual death, separation from God in this life and throughout eternity, being separated from the presence of God. The Spirit of God does not reside with or within those who are dead in sin. Those who have unrepentant hearts are separated from God. They live this life without the presence of God, without understanding the presence of God, without the touch of God in their life, because they're separated from God and they will enter into eternity, into eternal separation from God. That's the reality. Colossians 1.21 tells us that those who are unrepentant in their sin are alienated and enemies of God. It's not that God wants to be your enemy, it's your sin nature makes you an enemy of God, alienated, separated from Him. So repentance is needed because not only is there a separation here in this life, but a separation throughout eternity, a supreme suffering for the unrepentant soul. In fact, Matthew 13, 42 describes it. It speaks of that unrepentant soul And says they will be cast into the furnace of fire where there will be welling and gnashing of teeth. Repentance is needed to prevent separation from God in our earthly life and throughout eternity. The Holy Spirit convicts me of my lost condition. I fall before the Lord Jesus with a repentant heart, calling out to him, admitting my sin and guilt, confessing that he has died for me and risen again, and asking him to forgive me and be the Lord of my life. That is repentance that saves me from the separation that sin causes. And once I do that, as a child of God, I still need to practice repentance because unrepentance as a child of God will break my fellowship with my heavenly father. There'll still be a separation, not in relationship, but in fellowship with my father because sin will cause that disruption. Isaiah 59 tells us that sin breaks our closeness with God, that our prayers go unanswered, that he turns his face from us, even as his children. And so even as a child of God, I practice repentance because I don't want a separation from God. So David makes a very clear case why repentance must be a priority. But then he goes on and explains something else. He explains that repentance is possible. This is possible, not because of who we are, not because we have a desire for God. Repentance is possible because of God's own character. Because of who God is, we have an opportunity to practice repentance. You'll notice there in verse 1, repentance is possible because of God's mercy, God's loving kindness, God's tender mercies. Repentance is really a grace given by God for us to practice. It's made available to us because of who God is, not because of who we are. It's made available to us because of God's mercy, his grace, his love, not because of our merit or we deserve it. Repentance is the work of God. The opportunity to repent, the opportunity to turn from sin to God, it is available because of God's love for us because of his mercy given to us, because of his grace shown to us. This is a work of God. You know, my friends, I, I mean, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but we rightfully deserve condemnation. We rightfully deserve punishment. But God provides the grace of repentance that we might escape condemnation and punishment simply because he loves, not because we deserve This is the work of God, an expression of his love and grace. Because if we are condemned, we pass from this world and enter the place called hell, we get what we deserve. That's justice for us. But because of God's rich grace and deep love, his endless mercy, he's made a way for us to repent and be forgiven this is the work of God. In fact, God brings conviction and draws us to repentance. Do you realize that you and I, in and of ourselves, we would never come to God with a repentant heart? You and I, in and of ourselves, would never seek God out? It is God who convicts us of our sin and draws us to the place of repentance. David said, Give me wisdom or make me know wisdom. He said, make me hear. He said, these bones you have broken. These are all references to the work of God in his life to bring him to the understanding of his sin that he could come to the place of repentance. The Spirit of God brings the illumination to our minds to recognize our own sinfulness. In our own lost and sinful condition, we don't recognize that. It's not until the Spirit of God reveals to us we are lost and undone, we are condemned in sin. It is only then that we understand wait a minute, I really do need to be forgiven. I really do need to repent and come to the Lord Jesus. You see, it's the Spirit of God that brings the discomfort, the pressure, the pain that's needed for us to come to a recognition of our own sinfulness. We call that the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings conviction of sin and draws us to the place of repentance. So apart from the Holy Spirit, we would by no means ever feel the need to practice repentance as a lost person or as a child of God. It's the work of the Holy Spirit calling us to a place of repentance. You see, repentance is possible, my friends, because God's love and grace makes it possible. He calls us to repentance So that we can experience the reality that God is the only source and conveyor of forgiveness. See, that's what the Holy Spirit's doing. He's making us aware of sin, drawing us to the place of forgiveness, because he's making us aware that forgiveness of sin is conveyed only by God through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. That's where forgiveness comes, and the Holy Spirit calls us to that place through repentance. He draws us to repentance so that he can blot out our offenses and cleanse us from our sins. That's how the psalm begins there in verse 1 and 2. That's the work of God. Repentance is possible. But David doesn't stop there. You're wishing he would have, but he didn't. Because then he talked about how repentance is productive. You see, repentance has to be our priority because of our own sinfulness. Repentance is possible because of God's own character. But once we practice repentance, what we find is it's fruitful. It's beneficial. Repentance produces blessing in our lives. We're not only forgiven. It's not only the means to to receive eternal life and then continually practice a process whereby we can be cleansed from unrighteousness there are a lot of productive practical fruitful results of repentance and david lists them for example in verse 10 he says a product of repentance is a clean heart a clean heart now we need to understand that word clean whore. It means to be ceremonially, morally, and spiritually pure, having an official pronouncement of being pure. Now that's important. An official pronouncement declaring that you are morally and spiritually pure. It is the state of being blameless and faultless before God. How can I stand blameless and faultless before a perfectly holy God through repentance because of the work of Jesus Christ? Colossians 1.22 says, Jesus, through his death and resurrection, reconciles us to God to present us holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. How can I be pronounced Morally and spiritually pure. Blameless and faultless. Because Jesus on the cross of Calvary shed his blood that he might present me holy and blameless and above reproach. But I get that applied to my life when I fall before him in repentance. Asking for his forgiveness. You see, repentance is the source to being proclaimed blameless and faultless. In speaking of this work of Christ, John MacArthur said it this way When God looked at Jesus on the cross, he saw you. And now, when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. How am I blameless and faultless before God? Because God looks at me and sees what Jesus has done and applied to my life. It was accessed in my life through repentance and faith a clean heart. Repentance and faith combine to apply the redemptive work of Christ to our lives and then ongoing repentance as a child of God helps me maintain a morally pure standing with God. Here's a second benefit listed here. A steadfast spirit. This is still verse 10. A steadfast spirit. Now that phrase, renew within me a steadfast spirit, has a very expansive meaning. It encompasses many things. It is the spirit within us that is the product of God's development, his formation. This is the work of God. Through repentance, we open up our lives for God to do a work within us. It is the result of a divine plan, a divine arrangement, where God is orchestrating his will within our lives. It means to have a spirit that is arranged, secured, and fixed by God. It can refer to having a spirit that is durable and lasting. It is to have a spirit, ultimately, that is built up and grown by God. See, repentance... Opens up my life for God to begin his work in my life. This process of sanctification where he builds me and grows me. Thereby I have a spirit that's authenticated by God as legitimate. It is to have a spirit where God's spirit will bear witness with my spirit that I indeed am a child of God. It is to have a spirit that... Functions with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to walk in the Spirit so that I grow in the character of Christ. It is the spirit of sanctification. That happens when I practice repentance. There's a third thing David mentions when we move on into verse 11. And that's a closeness with God. When I practice repentance, a blessing I receive is closeness with God. It begins with a relationship with God, and then it helps maintain a fellowship with God. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is near those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. There in Psalm 34, the Bible very clearly says, The Lord draws near to those who have a repentant spirit. He abides with them. They abide in his presence. There's a closeness. God is near to the penitent. He's near to those who would turn from sin and self and seek to walk with him. He lets himself be known and experienced. He's there so that people can say that when they walk through the dark valleys, I have confidence because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It is your presence, God. That's what repentance brings. Repentance is essential to maintaining these intimate interactions with God so that we don't feel spiritually cold or despondent. Too many times a child of God just feel, feels like I, I don't sense God. I, I, don't, I don't feel His touch anymore. I don't feel Him moving in my life anymore. And when you dig deeper, you start pulling back the layers, you realize, oh, but what about this you never repented of? And your unrepentance has caused you to grow cold and despondent towards His Spirit in your life. So repentance maintains a closeness with God. Here's a fourth thing, joyfulness. Joyfulness, we're moving into verse 12. Joyfulness, the restoration of supreme joy, the joy of salvation is based in repentance. He says, restore the joy of your salvation, God, the the joy I knew when I was saved, the joy I knew when I met you and everything seemed right with you. I mean, sinfulness leads to separation from God. It robs us of the joy we should experience. Repentance returns us to that joy with God. Repentance returns us to that state of existing in a joyful existence with God. Peter says it's a joy inexpressible, full of glory. Nehemiah said it's the joy of the Lord that provides us the strength in the midst of all of life. It is a joy that's available to us through repentance. Here's a fifth thing. Repentance produces support from the Holy Spirit. Still in verse 12. You see, as we abide in God's presence, we experience his strength and his support in the form of his spirit. The Holy Spirit. God the Spirit. He is the presence of God in our lives. He comes along besides us. He upholds us. He strengthens us. He carries us. He supports us. Repentance maintains that closeness there so that we feel that support. Jesus promised the Holy Spirit would come and be the helper, the comforter. John chapter 14, 15, 16, Jesus has a lot to say through there about the Holy Spirit. The bottom line is through a repentant heart, I experience the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. It is His presence, God's presence, that upholds me and strengthens me. The Holy Spirit is an agent of grace that is sufficient. He's the divine, the divine strength that is perfected in us. Repentance helps me maintain that in my life. See, five things that happen that are fruitful in our lives because of repentance. These five products of repentance involve blessings that God give us. But there are two more products of repentance that David mentions that are blessings back to God. Two last products of repentance. The sixth one listed is the opportunity to be a witness. You see that in verse 13. You get a picture at David's heart. And what you find is repentance produced within David the desire to teach transgressors. The ways of God and to see sinners be converted to God. That's being a witness. That's going out and evangelizing. That's what's described there. That is, I have experienced the repentance of God and now within me bubbles up this desire to tell others that they might experience repentance towards God. My friends, the redemption, forgiveness, And freedom given us through repentance should produce in us a desire to see others converted to God as we teach them the ways of repentance. If you have been redeemed out of the condemnation of sin, if you have been forgiven from the guilt of sin, if you have been freed from the slavery of sin, you should have this desire within you to see others experience the same thing to come to understand how repentance can bring this to them. My friends, those who have expressed repentance from a broken and contrite heart, receiving forgiveness through Jesus Christ, have a testimony they can share. That means if you are hearing me today, and you have come to this place where you have fallen before Jesus with repentance and calling out to Him in faith that He would be your Savior, you have a testimony and you can share it. You can be exactly who you're called to be in Acts 1 8 when Jesus admonishes you to be His witness in this world. You don't have to be able to preach a sermon, you don't have to have every book of the Bible memorized, you don't have to be, even be able to find every book of the Bible. If you have fallen before God with a repentant heart and experienced salvation, you have a testimony. You can share it with someone else. That's a product of repentance that you give back to God when you're willing to tell others. Psalm 107.2 says this, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy, let them say so. If you have experienced redemption, here's what God expects of you. Say so. Tell people. Let them know. Let them know. Experience redemption through repentance gives you the ability to be a witness. One last thing. One last product of repentance. The ability to worship. Verses 14 and 15 describe this. Those who have yielded to the authority of Christ in repentance have a reason to worship. When you have bowed before Jesus with a repentant heart and received the forgiveness of sin, been imparted with eternal life, when you have this ongoing walk with Him, whereby you can repent and be cleansed and maintain a closeness with Him, you have a reason to worship and you can worship. We can sing songs of God's righteousness. We can show forth his praise because he has delivered us from sin when we fell before him in repentance. We can worship as one who has been cleansed, washed in the blood of Jesus, one who is whiter than snow. That's how David describes it there in verse 7. Listen, I realize that anyone, anyone can sing songs about Jesus. But only those who are redeemed by Jesus can truly worship him. And only those who have experienced the redemption of Christ through a repentant heart have a desire to worship him. A desire to worship my friends that is not confined to this building on a Sunday morning that affects your life every day of the week wherever you go. This psalm has a lot to say about repentance. Repentance is a heart change motivated from the brokenness, from an attitude of penitence brought upon us by the reality of sin. To repent means to turn from that sin to Jesus. In fact in Acts 20:21 20, The Apostle Paul said we testify repentance towards God and faith towards the Lord Jesus Christ. What that means is this. You cannot repent to God unless you turn to Jesus. Only one source of salvation. Only one source of forgiveness. Only one source of eternal life. Only one source of being proclaimed right, blameless, and faultless before God. Jesus Christ. You repent towards God, but it doesn't apply, it doesn't work unless you turn to Jesus. You must confess to God your guilt of sin. You must express sorrow, but you must turn towards Jesus for forgiveness. And then this repentance becomes a continuing process, whereby whereby our character continues to change and be transformed into the likeness of Christ. You see, repentance isn't something we just do once. We're saved and we forget about it. It's a brokenness over sin, followed by a process whereby we repent day by day because we want to grow in the likeness of Christ. Repentance should be a priority. I wonder, is repentance your priority this morning? I want to ask you to bow your heads. I just want you to ask yourself the question, Is repentance my priority? And you do with it what you need to do. This is your time with God. It's none of my business. I'm here to help you if I can. I'm willing to pray with you if you need it. I'm willing to ask or answer any questions you ask. But this is between you and God. Where are you at with the process of repentance?